Stephen Dubner. James Altucher. Why does happiness never last long? Like, you know, like you're happy. Like that is one of those questions that, as we say, contains assumptions, right? Like if I give you like a, a gift right now, like let's say I give you a 357 Magnum fully loaded. It's a nice <laughs> gift. You'd probably be happy to have it. You're only going to be happy for like a half hour, and then you're going to want like either more bullets or another gun. Well, my son, you are touching on one of the quintessential puzzles of my life as a writer slash researcher, which is, I mean, this honestly, the question you're asking is a slightly different version of the question that I've been, that that's, informs what I've been writing about for the past like 15 years. So when you and I met, you and I met 15, 12, whatever years ago, 13 yeah. years ago, right? And uh, the book I was writing at the time that I ended up putting in a drawer because something else came along instead, but um, the book was about basically the relationship between money and happiness, like the psychology of money. Right, I remember well. I was going to be the main character. You were the first chapter. I have. I think I gave you, I, yeah. I wrote the first chapter. I think I sent it to you. I don't yeah. think it was done. Yeah, no, you sent it to me. You asked me once if you wanted to, if I wanted to publish it, but my ex-wife at the time actually didn't want to publish, so I said no. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, so I've put a lot of books in drawers. I've, I've, I've abandoned more books than I've published, which is just like some, something good, I do. Um, good sense. Well, you know, that one was actually working out really well, but then Freakonomics came along, and that took me on a whole thing. And there was enough overlap between Freakonomics and that that I abandoned that one. Anyway, my point is this. What I was looking at is the idea of how much money is tied to happiness because there's a lot of research on this topic, but there's more missing than we have. And what we do know is that when people go from having very, very, very little money to having enough that they get a lot happier overall. And when they go from getting enough to having a little bit more than enough— they get a little bit happier. But then there's real diminishing returns on the relationship between money and happiness. So when you ask why doesn't happiness last, I, you know, like I said, it's a question that contains assumptions because you have to start by asking, well, what, how are you defining happiness? Lasting, we kind of get what that means, but how are you defining happiness? So, But as it turns out, most of the emotional states that are attached to things like money and material goods and even having food and roof over your head and so on, um, there, there's a real diminishing return on it. What seems to, quote, last more is, I wouldn't call it, you know, most, we don't necessarily, we wouldn't have, necessarily have to call it happiness, but kind of satisfaction. So well, what it, th those are two very different <clears throat> things, right? So happiness relates to the word happenstance. It's like something outside. That's true? Yes. You're not making that up? No. Something outside of yourself. I learned something today. So, so that's something that outside of yourself, whereas satisfaction is something more internal. Like another way to put satisfaction is contentment, you know, which is uh, kind of the basis of positive psychology, whereas happiness is not mentioned in positive psychology at all, really. I agree 102% with you. Yeah. So I think what happens is, happens is a lot of people mistake happiness or happenstance for the thing that they should feel continuously when the thing that they want to happen does happen. And there's a ton of research that shows that that's not the case, especially if it's coming from externally. And then you get into the kind of split between maximizers and satisficers. So a maximizer is someone who feels like they need to maximize all their, I don't know, inputs and outputs, whatever, maximize their opportunities. Whereas a satisficer 
is someone who's kind of looking to be made, quote, happy by being pleased, by being satisfied with what seems to be a kind of reachable um, level of something. And what the research seems to suggest is that while maximizers would seem to derive greater utility, because after all, they're maximizing, as a matter of fact, the pursuit of maximization is a drag, and it makes you um, feel like you're always missing out. Well, I imagine uh, it's partially an addiction. So... You know, as do you, you believe in addiction, uh, I do. In this case, I think. In which case? Uh, in the case of maximizing. Mm. So let's say, uh, y- you know, you get addicted. What, what are what are the happy neurochemicals? What neurochemicals in your brain make you happier? Like we know, dopamine makes you feel a spike of happiness. Serotonin get, gets you happier. Oxytocin makes you feel more trusting or or like bonding with with friends and things like that. What about vaping vitamin B twelve? Uh, that did not make me happier, but it did relieve any constipation problems, like in an enormous way. Moving along, yeah. <laughs> so, so <clears throat> I do think those are these neurochemicals kind of happen, and we feel happy, and then they kind of get—I don't know what the word is—but get digested very quickly. So we need more, which is why we suddenly need more cocaine, which is uh, attaches to our dopamine right. receptors very well. Right. So, or other drugs, or or whatever that causes kind of this artificial happiness. So I should say that I think anybody who's interested in the subject of happiness generally should read. There's a there's one of my favorite books in social sciences. I, I bet you've read it called Stumbling on Happiness. Yeah, well, by, is that Martin Seligman? No, or? Dan Gilbert. Oh, Martin Dan Seligman Gilbert. is also very good. There's a lot of really interesting, good scholars in it. And, you know, the, the points that they make are often pretty obvious in retrospect, which is that experiences tend to be much more satisfying long run than acquisitions. So that certainly jibes with your whole idea of throwing away everything in your life. Well, also an experience, think about it from a neural chemical perspective too. I don't uh, know enough about neurochemistry to think okay, about it so, from a neurochemical so, perspective. Okay. And neither do you, Dr. L. No, no, I'm a doctor right, in every way on Twitter. Except, yeah. <laughs> um, but think about it from this point of view. Uh, with an experience, you anticipate the experience. Ah, that's a big part of you, it. You right. have the experience, and then you look back on the experience. Right. And the anticipation is often the most satisfying part. After this quick break, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Prudential. Today, Prudential is asking us to think about retirement from a new angle. Have you ever wondered how picking out your clothes in the morning affects how much you save for retirement? My wife actually picks out my clothes. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I, I think that's an indictment of your wife considering what you're wearing today, James, but I'm ready to move on. Um, it sounds like an odd connection, but what you may not realize is that from the moment we wake up, our brains are making hundreds of little decisions, and all those decisions add up. Are you going to get up or are you going to hit the snooze button? You're going to wear a gray shirt or a purple shirt like James is wearing today. Coffee or tea, or me, of course. With every decision we make, our brains become more worn out, some people might say. And when your brain is worn out, you're more likely to give in to impulses and procrastination. So the next time you're about to put something off, remember, our brains are hardwired to procrastinate, which means the sooner you reset your wiring and start saving more for retirement, the better off you'll be down the line. So visit bringyourchallenges.com to learn more about procrastination and other behaviors that get in the way of saving more for retirement. Prudential, bring your challenges. 
Mm. Have I ever told you this story? A friend of mine was having breakfast with a major billionaire. He was worth about two billion. Are there minor billionaires? Uh, I would think if well, you're two billion, that's a minor billionaire. That's a minor billionaire. Okay, so 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 that was start that, again. So a friend of mine point. was having breakfast with a minor billionaire. So a friend of mine was having breakfast with a guy who was worth about two billion. Well-known guy, very famous billionaire. But the entire breakfast, apparently, this two billionaire was complaining about Larry Page, and he was like, "Why does this effing kid have eighteen billion when I only have two mm-hmm. billion? So here's a case where maximize like everybody else listening to this is like, that guy is mentally ill, but clearly he's not. He made two billion dollars. Right. he's he's well, doing something right. Well, that points that's beyond maximizing and satisfying. I would argue that has more to do with, you know, we like to think that as animals go, we humans are absolute animals, right? So like if I were to say to you in a vacuum, how much money would you need to be whatever? Satisfied, happy, unstressed, da da da, right? That's the and you could name an absolute number. But well, then yeah. I, I will tell you, because when this is related to when you and I first met, uh I my first business I sold, I sold for about 15 million, and I thought to myself, I the here's the actual thought I thought to myself. I'm poor, mm-hmm. and I need a hundred million now to actually be happy. And that's because the people in your new circle had a hundred. Yeah, or or we were all going for a hundred. Right, right. And and then of course I lo- I'm not bragging because I lost it all. Like you met me when literally I had a hundred and forty three dollars in my bank account. Like I was losing money so fast, I just sort of lost my mind. But this is what I think is so um, you know suboptimal about our pretty wonderful brains which is that we think we are absolute animals, right? So that if I were to say to you in year, when you were 20 years old, James, you know, at the age of 30 or however you were, you'll have $15 million. You would have said, there's no way I can be dissatisfied with that. But then when you get there, it's not because the number has changed in what it'll buy. It's just because now you're a relative animal. And that's that's the problem that people have a really hard time acknowledging is that we're so real. I mean, the, basically every everything we say on this show, everything anybody says on any podcast, whatever, has been spoken over the past thousands of years by philosophers and theologians no, and but we say Mark it, Twain. We but say like, it a lot smarter. Uh, I, I'd say we take I way do. longer to you say do. it. You do. You say it a lot smarter. <laughs> but um, keeping up with the Jones Joneses is a thing. And e- and now there are so many more Joneses because it's not just the people on your block and in your neighborhood, but it's everybody in your Twitter and Facebook feed and so on. So that's why they actually say if you want to improve at a skill, sometimes you want to observe videos of people worse than you. So then you can say, oh, I see what he's doing wrong or she's doing wrong. I can do it better. I do love to go to the driving range and watch the bad golfers because I can start to feel better about my paltry golf self. Or when you started writing, did you ever get any pleasure out of reading a writer worse than you? So here's the thing. Writing is one of the very few things that I've done since I was so little that there wasn't ever a time when I was really that bad. So I've there are a lot of things I, I've learned or tried to learn as an adult and I very much understand how cognizant you are of how bad you are relative to people who've been doing it a long time. And that's a very difficult barrier to overcome. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of adults don't try to learn new things because no one likes to be, you know, embarrassed or feel incompetent or whatever. But writing, like, I'm sure this is a little bit of an overstatement, but like I was never really a bad writer because I started doing it pretty seriously from pretty early. I published my first writing when I was um, 11 in Highlights Magazine. So oh, yeah? I, yeah, so I have a lot. I probably I've, read it in the it was doctor's called, office. It was called The Possum. You remember that one? No. Yeah. <laughs> but let me ask you this. So so 
just to summarize this, I do think happiness is something that gets, to put it, uh, I don't know how to put it, but it's something that gets digested relatively quickly. But contentment mm. or satisfaction is something you can work on every day. And I think it's related to having good relationships in your life, having more and more freedom of choice in your life so you can make a choice to have more choices uh, i've got a i would argue with that a little only because this whole paradox of choice notion i think is true which is that we think we want a larger choice set always but as it turns out most humans react kind of stressfully when their choice set expands so well, too well, much maybe i maybe well, having more choices is the wrong way to put it but having more free having knowing you have freedom mm -hmm. instead of uh, being locked into some routine that you have to do knowing i have a freedom to release myself from that routine is important and I think uh, uh, increasing confidence in something you love doing. Like, you love golf now. I think you've kind of switched your need for confidence from writing, which you do so well, to golf, which you like to improve at, right? You get disappointed if you're not improving in it, but you feel probably satisfied if you have a good day at the course where you feel like you've improved. That's a good point. I get a lot more, quote, satisfaction out of going from, let's say, skill level five to six in golf than I would going from, let's pretend I'm on the writing scale, 9 to 10, because my growth curve is still heading in the right direction. So, so I think having the ability or the freedom to switch the hierarchies of what you're improving in, you know, so you know, the ranking system of what you're improving yeah. in, playing golf with friends uh, and improving at it gives you contentment. And that kind of gets rid of the, the need for like, oh, I need to be happy right now. I want to be happy. So let me ask you this. What is your go-to happy-making thing? If Let's say you've had a bad day or you're about to have a bad day and you have 15 minutes or an hour and you just want to do something for you that's going to make you happy in the moment. You don't care if it lasts. What do you do? Well, I think I'm an addict to happiness. So I need to do something and get instant stimulus and feedback and get that's into hard. that loop. Yeah, so what I do is... I go on the computer and I go onto an online chess server and I play blitz chess one minute each side. So if you run out of your 60 seconds, you lose the game or if the other guy side runs out. And so I'm I, I can do that for 24 straight hours. Uh, and I've weaned myself off the addiction, but I used to play for like literally 40 straight hours without stopping. Did you get better at chess by playing that way? No, you can't get better at playing that do way. Do you get worse playing you, that you way? You probably get worse, yeah. Because you get bad habits? Because you play too fast? Yeah, you get bad fast. habits. You reinforce them. You never have any depth. You don't really have time to study your mistakes. Mm -hmm. You do everything... That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you learn something. So instead of improving my confidence, doing the things for satisfaction, I'm doing things for happiness, which is I want to win. And so if I don't win, then I need to play again so I win, so the happiness thing gets triggered. As opposed to actually improving my confidence at chess, I would just do things to be happy at it. Other people do it with other things like drugs or uh, sex or, you know, chess is a weird addiction, but there's any, any addiction. You know what makes me really happy? That we're playing backgammon instead of chess. Completing a very nice podcast conversation with you. Listen to a clip from the next question of the day in just a moment. But first... Again, we'd like to thank Prudential for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget our brains are hardwired to procrastinate, but not all procrastination is created equal. Did you know there are different types of procrastinators? Worriers, big dreamers, distracted and unmotivated procrastinators? 
James, where do you fall? What kind of procrastinator are you? Are you the dreamer? Are you the distracted? Are you the worrier? I, I'm definitely a dreamer procrastinator because I try to make use of my procrastination. Ah, productive procrastination. Yes. Visit bringyourchallenge.com to take the procrastination personality test and find out. Prudential, bring your challenges. Next time on Question of the Day. The reason advertising rates on podcasts are relatively high on a CPM or cost per thousand basis is because you can measure those pretty easily and they work. Right. Now, I'm not saying others don't work. I'm not saying podcasts are so great. But you can't know the efficacy of something until you can start to measure it. And in the old days, they were making it up. Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry.